Our scripture out of the 12th chapter of Matthew begins with verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. For you who may be guests or visitors, we've been working through the book of Jonah. And uh, so today I'm going to continue, but I'm going to do a kind of a little transition off into the Gospel of Matthew um, because uh, I want to share this message, um, which is part, of course, of the Jonah story, the sign of Jonah. And uh, I want you to know, I mean, this, I'm going to expect some serious amens today from this body of Christ. You know, I just... I just I know that I'm going to hear that you're going to be pumped, and uh, those amens will be flowing from your lips. You know, when you read the story of Jonah, Jonah was upset because God wouldn't do things the way he wanted them done. And that's why he ran away, because he knew God wasn't going to do the things he wanted God to do. And in Matthew 12, the Pharisees are continually upset and incest with Jesus because Jesus won't do things the way they want him to do it. And so once again, they demand a sign that he can prove who he claims to be. But what they soon learn is God isn't someone who's in the performance business. And so Jesus said the only sign that they would be given would be the sign of Jonah, which incidentally validates his whole story that it truly is true history, that Jonah is a true prophet, and this story really took place Otherwise, Jesus would be a liar. So Jesus' use of the story shows the validation, the historicity of the story of Jonah. Now, Jonah was sent to Nineveh with a warning of God's impending judgment. But when the Ninevites heard God's word, they immediately believed God. Notice it doesn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. And because they believed God, they repented. Now, Israel had been entrusted with God's holy word. You have God's Bible, his word, because it was entrusted to Israel. Israel had experienced numerous miracles at God's hands. Israel had seen the glory of God. They'd seen it throughout the wilderness. They'd seen it in the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory of God was revealed to Israel. And now to Israel, God himself had personally come in the person of Jesus Christ. And they said, we want another sign. But Jesus said the only sign they would be given would be the sign of Jonah, which was a metaphor for Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. 
Now, when Jesus calls himself greater than Jonah, he meant the greater the messenger, the greater the responsibility or guilt if that message is rejected. When you refuse the gospel, you are rejecting God's gift. Now, the Ninevites believed God's prophet who had been given God's word. Israel rejected Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and that word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through that word, we find fullness of grace and truth. Thus, Jesus said, because the Ninevites believed God's word spoken to a messenger, they will stand in judgment of Israel come judgment day. Jesus was greater than Jonah in many and profound ways. Jonah was sacrificed to save those sailors. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself to save the whole world. Jonah was cast out for his own sins. Jesus Christ was cast out for our sins. Jonah only came near to death. Jesus Christ actually died and came under the full weight of God's wrath and anger for our sin. The anger of the storm was a real expression of God's anger toward Jonah, which was turned aside the moment that Jonah was thrown overboard. In the same way, on that cross, Jesus Christ dealt with the anger and wrath of God against our sin by standing in our place and bearing the full punishment we deserved. Come on. You're getting there. Listen to those words in Isaiah 53. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Jesus was the punishment that has brought us peace and reconciliation with God. And by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. You know, many people struggle with the idea of God's anger. But I'll tell you something. If somebody isn't angry when they see real injustice in the world, there's something wrong. And to deny God's anger and his wrath against sin is to not take serious how damaging sin is to God's children. He loves you. And he sees what sin does to our lives and how it's destroying us. Of course he's going to be angry. And when we refuse to accept that anger and that wrath, we, we rob God of his full understanding, God's passion for his holiness and justice. And then it also dimin- diminishes God's love, that all that Jesus Christ bore for us. I mean, if, Jesus, if God wasn't angry at sin, then we wouldn't understand how, how much Jesus died for us, what it cost. You know, unlike Jonah, who was being punished for his own disobedience, 
Jesus Christ took on the divine wrath of God for our disobedience. And he did it so not a drop of God's wrath has been left for us. We never have to experience God's wrath because of Jesus if you choose to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, since he's not merely man, but also fully God, far from depicting some kind of vindictive and angry God, what the Bible only shows us is a just, merciful, and loving God who loves each and every one of you so much that he couldn't bear the thought of ever losing you. And so God himself comes to this earth to bear that his own just penalty for our sin on our behalf. My friends, what more proof than the cross do you, will you ever need to know how much God loves you? What more evidence than the cross do you need to know that God is always trustworthy? God really loves you. In our story, when the sea girl was calm, the, pag- the pagans were told are seized with a greater fear than they had before. And the reason is this new fear is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, previously, these pagan sailors thought of Yahweh as being Jonah's God. But now they had just had a demonstration, a miracle of seeing how great God truly is. You know, you've often heard the story of foxhole conversions. When people are under duress, they make foxhole vows to God. But then when the danger passes, so do those vows. These men were different. They made their vows after the danger had passed. They turned to God not for what he could do for them, but for the greatness of who he is. That, my friends, is true repentance. That is the beginning of true faith. Now, the pagan sailors today in the story provide a, a graphic portrayal of what is called common grace. Now, you may or may never have heard of this, but actually there's different kinds of grace. You know, God gives grace for all different circumstances in life. And, uh, but one grace he gives to everybody is called common grace. Common grace means that God bestows gifts of wisdom, moral insight, goodness, and beauty to all of humanity, believers and non-believers alike. Everybody is given common grace. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And then we read in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift comes from God and is distributed to any and to all. Everybody is recipient of God's common grace. No one in this world has ever been separated from God. No one in this world has ever been separated from God except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was separated from God the Father on that cross, 
and he was. So no one ever has to be if they place their trust and belief in Jesus Christ. Common grace is a wonderful expression of God's love, and it's for all people. You know, the world would be an absolutely intolerable place if God's grace, his common grace, didn't flow everywhere and touch lives all over the place. Common grace also means that non-believers have much they can teach us. And that was a lesson that Jonah still has a terrible time trying to grasp, that these pagans had much to teach him, but he's beginning to to see it as uh, this story unfolds, and he sees how they care more for him than he cares for them. And then Jesus uses this wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan to really bring this love for thy neighbor uh, to a radical, radical uh, understanding. He tells us in this parable that all people, all people, and you know, whatever the need might be, are our neighbors. All people are our neighbors. And the way to love neighbors is not merely to, you know, to sentimentally care for them or to, you know, say, I'll pray for you, but when necessary, to be prepared and willing to do costly and sacrificial action on their behalf. And Jonah is the very opposite of the Good Samaritan. He has no concern for the common good, no respect for these pagan sailors who are trying to save his life. Jonah's actions and his attitude toward others reveal he was a stranger to the very heart and saving mercy, grace, and love of God, even though he was a prophet, even though he had been given God's word. The question is, does our faith reach beyond mere words to sacrificial action to others when and where necessary? Are we like the Good Samaritan, or are we like Jonah? Now, while common grace is a wonderful expression of God's love for all people, and while everyone lives under common grace until Judgment Day, we all live under common grace until Judgment Day. And then decisions will be made. But common grace does not regenerate our hearts. Common grace does not create a personal covenant relationship with God. That requires a special or saving grace that can be administered only through the Holy Spirit. That means that the world with all of its wisdom, the world with, you know, all of its technology and all of these wonderful gifts has no real answer for eternity. The world can't save you. It can't offer you eternal life. It has no way to get there. But you do. You do have that answer. And special grace is given where God's word is heard and received in a person's mind, believed in their heart, and lived out in their life. So what are you doing with God's word? You have the answer to eternal life. The book of Jonah is not so much about a great fish. The book of Jonah is about a great God, our God. 
a God who shows amazing patience and mercy and kindness to all people. And then he shows unbelievable grace to those who choose to call upon him. May you know each and every day that wonderful God deeper and fuller and richer until your life is totally and entirely sanctified with that love. Amen.